murder. Swerving with my circus, looking for a purpose. Pseudo clean record, hope got another circus. Hey, canteeners, welcome back to the next episode of Culper's Canteen Cup. It's episode 84, and it's not my fault. Josh, it's not my fault. You are my Robin, Robin Williams right now. You're my Robin Williams to Matt Damon. It's not my fault. This is the third time we're trying this podcast because my internet just apparently sucked. So now I'm hardwired in. We're ready to go. So hopefully this one will go through. We're well rehearsed for the first five minutes. And uh, I feel like I'm going through the motions here. I swear. I feel like I've rehearsed these lines. <laughs> but it's the last time I was in D.C., as you all know, I went to a uh, baseball game, went to a Nationals game. And uh, normally I'm really not into baseball. Uh, until I go to a game. And when I go to a game and see it in person, it brings back, I, I don't know, it's just a totally different feeling. It was, it was great being there in the ballpark. Uh, Nationals have a, have a great park and uh, got to sit along the first baseline about, you know, maybe 50 feet from Josh Bell. They're playing first base, 6'4", 260. It moves like a cheetah. It's, it, was, it was just great being there at the game. And now I've been kind of watching baseball again. Uh, and I figure, why not? Let's just start this off with a little BS session, maybe uh, talk about a little boxing, a little Ronda Rousey. And uh, Josh, do the do the Atlanta Braves, I mean, do they even still have a baseball team or or what? And are you still a fan of Joe Dillon or well, what's going on? Um, so, so yeah, to, uh, to answer both questions first, yeah, the Braves still have a team. I don't know if you heard they're the, uh, defending world series champs. They, uh, they won the world series <laughs> last year. So I'm not sure if you were tracking that and do, you should have gotten up with, uh, with Joe Dillon while you were there. I heard he's back with the, uh, heard he's back with the Nats. Um, he's back from the Phillies. So. He is. Can you believe it? <laughs> Tell the backstory on that one. <laughs> All right, so we tried to record, uh, you know, open kimono here. We tried to record the other day, and and uh, you know, once again, we had we had some technical difficulties, and uh, you know, I, will, I, will, I won't point out who's you know what was the culprit in those, but so you know, we gave we we basically you know this is the same story that we told like twice before Roger you know almost had a thermonuclear meltdown because uh, we couldn't you know we couldn't get our act together and uh <laughs> so i you know i made the comment i was like dude you know you know the nats i so you know all three of us were stationed in the dc area you know i went to a lot of nats games you know especially whenever the braves came to town uh if you remember chris uh chris t from uh one of our earlier episodes the whiskey made me do it uh you know him and i you know big braves fans have been our whole lives you know we would go down and uh and see them and uh you know, so I made the comment. I was like, "Yeah, I stopped caring about the Nats once you know Joe Dillon. Uh, I think it was episode four. Joe Dillon's jockstrap <laughs> left and went to the Phillies. And Luke pointed out to me, Luke's like, you know, Joe Dillon's back with the Nats. I was like, oh, all right, hey, so we're gonna, you know, we're gonna care about the Nats again because um, <laughs> Joe Dillon's with. <laughs> I had no idea, and uh, then we tried to re-record. And on the re, you know, on the re, on the re-record, I was like, "Hey, do you guys know that Joe Dillon's back with the uh, with the Nats?" <laughs> like I'd known it all along, which you know, I uh, obviously had not. So, a little. And of uh, course, Paul Harvey. The rest of that story was uh, Joe. Josh was motherfucking you um, until Luke informed him that you were coming back to the Nats or that you were back with the Nats. He's like, "Yeah, f that dude." And he's like, "Is he even in the league anymore?" And Luke's like, "Yeah, he's uh, actually back down with the Nats." So then it just oh, became, "Oh yeah, well Lord. you know, he's with the Nats now. It's all good." <laughs> He don't listen anyway. Whatever. No, 
no, I would never, I would never MF Joe Dillon. Um, and yeah, so yeah, man. So the Braves still have a team. Um, you know, again, it's early in this season. I was a little put off by the, uh, you know, by the strike and, you know, them, the back and forth, which delayed spring train a little bit. Um, you know, people are, again, it goes back to like, you know, it goes back to the strike in the nineties, which, you know, it turned a lot of people off. You know, there's people out there struggling right now just to put gas in their car. You know, they're paying four plus at the pump and, you know, you have guys who play baseball, you know, not even the whole year, you know, arguing about, well, 150 million is not good enough. I want 160 million. And so it's just a little off putting, you know, when, when you look at what the average Americans out there are going through right now and, uh, but no, they're, you know, they're back on track. They made a couple of moves in the off season. Uh, one of my favorite players left. I was a big Freddie Freeman fan. Freddie Freeman was their first baseman. He was going to be, you know, he, he was going to be their franchise player. Um, you know, he was, he, he was like the, you know, the, the chipper Jones, um, you know, Freddie Freeman, he's been with the Braves for a long time and he really wanted to stay, and you know, I, I don't know, you know, the ins and outs of it, but they couldn't get to a number that they agreed upon. Uh, he crushed it in the playoffs. He crushed it in the World Series. He wanted a certain amount. The Braves weren't willing to pay. And the Braves have historically been a team, you know, they want to try and do things on the cheap. Um, so he left. He went to the Dodgers, which kind of I was all I was all upset that he went to the Dodgers, not from his standpoint, but but you know he. It was known before he went that the Dodgers were going to be the ones to make that play for him. And they're a big rival of Atlanta. You know, they had to, you know, they played him in the playoffs. And, you know, for him to go to, you know, their number, basically their number one competitor, uh, you know, it was a little disheartening. They just had, and they just had a series. And, you know, Freddie Freeman did really well in the series. Um, so, but they picked up, uh, they picked up Matt Olson out of the, uh, out of the athletics for first baseman. He has pretty good numbers. He's great. He made his debut in 2016. So he's been around the league a little bit. Um, so we'll see what happens, man. Um, yeah, I'm still a, uh, yeah. So Braves fan, I like watching baseball. I'd rather go to the games. Um, I can watch it on TV. I can have it on in the background. It's hard for me to sit down and just watch a game straight through. You know, that's the only thing I do. I can't. It's really hard. I can have it on in the background. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, other than that, just, you know, glad baseball's back. That and college football, those are really the only two sports I watch anymore. Oh, and curling. Oh, I watch curling when the Winter Olympics roll around. Cause Hell yeah. Dude, curling is just a bunch of 40-plus-year-old dads out there with dad bods absolutely crushing it. Like, is that shit not Olympics addicting, sport. though? Like, that stuff comes on TV, and, like, you cannot – not watch that thing. Like you have to watch that. Dude, the curling. So I didn't even know curling was this big. I started looking around. Dude, they have a curling association here in North Carolina. I was like, well, dude, where do you guys get together and play? I, I want to go watch it. Like it's, it, to me, it's fascinating. You'd be a it great is. sweeper. I can tell by your form. You'd be the great, what do they call them? I don't even know what they call them. Like the, those two people with the little brooms. Yeah. No, that, that would be me because I'm not flexible enough. I don't. I don't know what position it is. The guy who actually is behind it that you know pushes it and lets it go, like that. Like that dude's way too flexible for it to be me. I'd have to be one of the sweepers too. He he does do it like in a yoga pose. You know, he like goes down oh, the back there. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like yeah, that that break me down. Ah, I might be able to do it then. I might be able to. Do it. I haven't been in yoga and dude, I haven't been in yoga in like three weeks. So I need yeah, to. Uh, I need to get back in it. 
whatever. Well, and like Josh said, you know, it's, it's hard for me to sit there and watch baseball, uh, you know, on TV. Sometimes I'll have it going on in the background, not really following it if I'm doing something else. You know, and we've got the spring training games out here, so it's, it's easy to go see that stuff. But it's hard for me to, to actually get into it on TV. Uh, and, and this is a sad time of year for me, man, because you've got college basketball is over. So my beloved Tar Heels lost to Kansas in the finals. Um, I don't really watch baseball. You know, the NBA is just very, very difficult for me to watch because just the way the game has changed and how, you know, the NBA has shifted over the last 10, 15 years to try to cater more to the fans and, and what they think they want to see. Uh, so, you know, they speed up the game. They want more points. They want more dunks. And, you know, you end up with, uh, you know, a lot less fundamentals uh, being shown and, you know, no defense anymore. I mean, that's the biggest thing when you look at back in the 90s with us. Uh, and I get the whole generational thing. Everybody thinks their generation was the best. But truly, when you look at the players back in our generation versus now, especially with the NBA, it's night and day. Uh, you know, you look at the, you know, my son always gives me shit when I bag on, you know, LeBron James and this and that. But I think the way the game was played now has done a disjustice to or injustice to a lot of these players because you take somebody like LeBron James, who is probably arguably one of the greatest athletes to ever play the sport. But you know what? You're only going to see one side of his game. Whereas, you know, people talk about Michael Jordan and the scoring and this and that, what people forget. Hey, he was defensive player of the year as well. You know, he was an all-team de- all uh, defensive player as well. So you, you saw the full aspect of, of athletes back then, and nowadays you just don't see it. And what scares me now, and, and Luke, I think you had some more info on it, but talking about uh, the NCAA transfer portal. So, you know, Carolina gave Duke their final loss in the regular season. And then put them out of the tournament in the Final Four, which was the first time they ever met in the Final Four, which is awesome. Uh, but now you find out that Coach K's grandson, who uh, played for Duke, he just entered the transfer portal. And I think we were talking earlier, you let me know that it's, it's also college football as well. So, you know, back in the day, you had these rules where they prevented the building of super teams in college. Uh, and they did that by saying, okay, if you transferred, you know, just for whatever reason, right, you, you played a year and you're like, oh, I don't like this school anymore. I'm going somewhere else to play for a bigger name or, or this or that. You had to sit out an entire year. And what that did was like, if you have a conference like the ACC and you've got uh, your, your all-star player, uh, you know, in Florida state, which, you know, they've had some rough years in basketball and you're like, Hey, I'm not really getting the TV time, this and that. And you're a guy who averages 19, 20, 25 points a game. Uh, you say, well, Hey, you know what, maybe I enter the transfer portal and I go up and I go play for a Carolina or I go play for a Duke somewhere where I'm going to get more TV time, I'm going to get more exposure. And then what happens is you have all these athletes moving all around the league. And it's even, in my opinion, uh, it's even worse than NBA because NBA, you have to negotiate, uh, you know, the salary there, you know, salary cap. And really for the NCAA, the only thing capping it is the amount of scholarships. I think each team gets, it's either 12 or 13 scholarships. Uh, and beyond that, that's all they can offer. So then the, the student would have to pay their own way or whatever. But outside of that, that's it. So, I mean, if you're a, you know, if you're a fledgling team or you're trying to put somebody together, I mean, you go out there and you hit these transfer portals, uh, you know, very, very hard. Uh, and then on top of that with the, and I wasn't tracking all of it again, Luke, I think it's got more info on it, but players now can make money off their likeness uh, in the NCAA. And I don't know what the caveat to that is. I, I think, you know, I think they can use their image. They can use their name. I think they still might have a cap on actually like working somewhere 
uh, and getting paid. But when you look at that, it just gives these kids all the more incentive. I mean, think about if you're at a mid-major college, right? Or maybe if you're out West out, you know, in, in the Pac-12 or whatever, and you're like, hey, screw this, man. You know, I'm averaging 23 points a game, you know, five assists and two or three blocks or whatever. I'm heading East. I'm going to Kentucky. Uh, because I'm going to get the TV time. I'm going to get the scouting. Uh, the more TV time I have, you know, the more my likeness is going to go up, the more value I'm worth, right? The more value I have, the more money I'm going to make. So it turns it into a, a money thing. So, you know, I, it kind of worries me with the with college basketball going forward. And, you know, in all fairness, I mean, Carolina has done well with the transfer portal. We picked up Manic last year or this year. Uh, and, and he was, you know, he was phenomenal. And uh, Puff Johnson's uh, brother, we picked him up in the transfer portal from Pittsburgh. So we've done onesies and twosies. Uh, I guess, Luke, you know, how long do you think it is before you start seeing college teams trying to put together super teams where maybe it's not just onesies and twosies in the transfer portal? It's like I'm picking up an entire squad. Well, Texas Tech kind of did it last year. I mean, it wasn't a super team. You know, they, they, none of, None of the transfers they got were super standouts where they came from, but they were all good. Our team this last year uh, is pretty decent, and that was largely because of the transfer portal. Uh, Mark Adams, the current coach, is apparently really good at that, and he always has been, is scouting those players out and and enticing them to come over to uh, another program. So with the transfer portal, you know, it, it it's kind of messed up. Yeah, North Carolina is really good at it. It looks like they're going to get uh, Terrence Shannon. Is that – from our team. You know, it's yeah. funny because our Armando Baycott, which is, you know, he's, he's, he's the guy coming back next year, our senior. And, uh, I guess as soon as it wasn't like 10 minutes, man, Shannon was like, you know, basically, Hey, thanks. You know, Texas tech peeps, you know, doing yeah. the, okay, these are goodbyes. And it wasn't five minutes. Armando was like, Hey man, just quit fooling. You know, quit everybody, you know, quit all the waiting and just, you know, come on over to Chapel Hill. And who knows if that happens or not, but yeah. And he's, he's, he, he might be a poison pill for y'all's team. Uh, he's, he's not, uh, he's a great player and, you know, everybody loved him here, but he, he's a bit of a diva. Um, he was injured a lot of last year too. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. Transfer portal, you know, it, that is what it is. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of not necessarily on the fence, but I could kind of see both sides of this from the athlete's perspective you know, let them go and play. I mean, I've, I've been around Texas uh, athletics for a really long time, and the the league, the UIL that manages Texas sports is is very, 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 or at least was very strict on transfers. Like if you if you moved, like if you even had a good reason to to move, a lot of times, at least back in the '80s and '90s, especially the '90s, you had to sit out a year if you're moving to a, a big high school, and that was mainly for football. Because a lot of these teams uh, in Houston and North Dallas were put were putting together super teams in the '80s that were just unbeatable, and you know the the school district, you know, with all the trustees, were paying for their parents' houses and stuff. It was crazy, but you know what? What the name, image, image, likeness thing, NIL, uh, new rules in in college sports is. You know, I'm I'm pretty sure it's it's all the sports. Sorry about my phone there. I'm pretty sure it's all the sports. Because all the articles I was reading just said NCAA, it didn't, it didn't specify basketball. So you know, again, fact check me if I'm if I'm wrong on that, Ryan out there, bunch of sharpshooters. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I you know what I, what we were talking about. This is take four. Now we had to do another break, so hopefully this works. But hey, uh, Josh, by the way, uh, Joe Dillon's back with the Nationals. Just letting you know. That. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> So what I'm worried about with the name image likeness thing is the uh, smaller markets versus the bigger markets uh, going forward. What I would like to see 
soon is like, who were the top earners in the name image likeness thing this year? Because, you know, where I am, you know, Texas Tech, I'm the, my team, it's a market of 300,000 people, uh, 350,000 tops. And it's like I saw a few local commercials, one for an orthodontry clinic and stuff where a couple of the players were on there. I can't imagine they got more than a thousand bucks for that. But, you know, if they're enticed to a bigger market like L.A., parts of Florida, New York, you know, along the East Coast, uh, I think I think even, you know, UNC would be in pretty good shape with that, considering where they are and the, the amount of people that are there. Uh, you know, if in these bigger markets where, you know, they go from doing an orthodontry clinic to, uh, you know, a law firm or, uh, you know, a huge right. car dealership and, you know, in a big market, is that going to entice players? I mean, and football would be even more interesting because there's only, you know, five starters on a basketball team. There's football, you know, you got a lot more players than that, you know, uh, starting, you know, 22. Uh, so that, you know, that'd be interesting to, to see where it goes forward. I mean, I think we talked about it in a, in a, in a previous show about college uh, players getting paid. I, you know, I'd like to think that a lot, a lot more thought went into, you know, the decision for the name image likeness than, than we're putting into it, because I think you're right, Roger, they're still not allowed to work. And, you know, the reason for that is, you know, schools like Miami and, you know, back in the day, probably Penn state USC, you know, people were, Oh yeah, just show up, you know, for three hours a, a week or one hour, not even that. We'll just put you on the payroll, and boom, you're getting paid to play. Right. So that, you know, hopefully they put in more more thought into it than that. And I, I don't know what the cap is. I don't know if there's a cap. I don't know. It'd be interesting to to dig into that more. But um, I don't know. I mean, for now, the transfer portal is fun for me because our team is better because of it. But, you know, if we start suffering because everyone's going to Kentucky or Gonzaga or UNC, Kansas, and so on and so forth, you know, you know, then we'll see. Um, you know, what's surprise? I don't know. With with college basketball, I think it's I think it's awesome how the Pac-12 aren't aren't very good anymore. I think that's awesome because, you know, back in the day, UCLA, I mean, remember when the Bruins were good? It was crazy, man. <laughs> you know, things. Things change. You know, I want to kick it to Josh real quick, and let's talk about uh, those combat sports a little bit because uh, Josh uh, want to bring up a, a couple points. So let's talk about those those combat sports, those mortal combat sports. Yeah, real quick before we get on that, you know, talking about the name, image, likeness thing. You know, um, Saban, Nick Saban, came out here last week, week before, and actually talked about this in the transfer portal and how the name image likeness was going to completely change college football because now you essentially have uh, you, you essentially have an NFL kind of structure but nobody's under contract everybody's a free agent and people can go where you know where they want and they have you know now you have you know the name image likeness hey I'll, I can pay you for your name image likeness and everything and you have boosters who can now influence where players go and there's other influences outside the purview of you know those teams and those colleges um you know that can influence players like you said on you know where they go and so i you know and so this came up this was literally an issue with texas a&m and uh and, and, and jimbo fisher you know somebody came out and they accused jimbo fisher of you know, luring, they had about $8 million 
you know, that they use and, and a kind of quasi name image likeness contract. It was like, Hey, we have, we have $8 million to spend on someone's name, image and likeness, whoever, you know, our top guys are. So, you know, use that information for what you will. And all of a sudden it was like, you know, people are like, you know, no whammies, big bucks smashing that, you know, transfer <laughs> portal button. And so, you know, Dabo Sweeney came out and, you know, he echoed Nick Saban's comments like, Hey, this is, you know, this is absolutely going to change college football. And, uh, and Dabo Sweeney went on to say that he predicts, you know, in the next 10 years, college football is going to have a commissioner with rules and, you know, for everybody. And it's going to be, it's, it's basically going to be the NFL, you know, I, and when we did the show, we did do the show and we talked about this and I was at the time I was, I, I was against paying players for their name, image and likeness. I've changed that a little bit, you know, after reading further, like Luke says, oftentimes, you know, I'm allowed to change my mind when presented with new information. Um, but I still think that this is going to change college football. Ultimately, I do think you should be, you know, be paid for your name, image and likeness. All right. You can't go make money off of my name and I don't get anything, but I think people need to be prepared for the second and third order effects of this. It is going to change college football and make it more like the NFL ultimately, you know, cause we used to watch college football and it was fun to watch because you had a, you know, a group of, you call them kids, but they're, I mean, they're adults, you know, they're all over the age 18. They're all technically adults, but you have, they're out there busting their ass playing because they are trying to get to the next level, right? They're not, you know, this isn't Jerry Maguire or, you know, this isn't any given Sunday where it's like, nah, man, I ain't getting hurt for this team. Cause you know, I got, I got to get paid next year. You know, it was kids out there laying themselves out. You know, wide receivers laying themselves out in the flat, trying to catch a pass, knowing that, you know, knowing that safety is about to just completely take their, you know, their head off. I don't know that you're going to see that as much anymore because, you know, hey, man, I'm, I'm trying to get paid. I'm not, dude, I, you know, I've got two years left, three years left here, however, however long. I'm trying to get paid. I'm not trying to get hurt. Um, so I don't know. You know, it, it, no one can predict the future, but if we know human nature, you once you start throwing somebody and your know, money at people, it it tends to change them, and uh, and it's not always not always for the good. You know, so when we talk talk, you know, so we're talking, you know, con, you know the the you know the sports. I so I saw it the other day, and Roger follows the WWE more than I do, and and probably a little bit more than Luke does, and Luke follows it a little bit more than I do, but. Uh, you know, it's kind of thumbing through the the book of faces, and uh, I saw Ronda Rousey is gonna fight. You know, fight uh, who is it? Charlotte Flair. So is her first name Charlotte, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, Ric Flair's uh, a daughter, and it just it, it it gave me pause for a second because one, you know, Ronda Rousey, I I, I do like watching the UC, you know, um, UFC, and. But, you know, for a second, it did give me pause because I was like, damn, man, Ric Flair's daughter. I remember watching Rick, you know, like Ric Flair back in the day. It's like, now his daughter is wrestling. I was like, damn, I'm old. One. It's <laughs> 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 like, how old am I? Right. And so, you know, then you got Dusty Rhodes' son is, you know, is wrestling now. You got a number of, you know, the, uh, you know, some of the, the, I say the iconic wrestlers, um, you know, their, their kids are in the sport now. And I think about how much it's changed and Roger, I, I throw it over to you with this question. Um, 
and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do you like you do us here for a second. And so I'll give you the question first and I'm going to talk for another minute. Um, how has wrestling changed in the sense of, and, and I ask this, you know, partly because I don't, I don't watch it a whole lot anymore as like the good versus evil, right? Because back in the day, back in the eighties, in their lives, man, you had good versus evil. You had Hulk Hogan, Hacksaw Jim Duggins, you know, you had America versus Andre the Giant and Nikita Koloff. You know, you had Hulk Hogan versus the, you had Sergeant Slaughter versus the Iron Sheik, you know, and it was always that good versus bad, um, you know, thing. And is that still present in wrestling? You know, do you think? Um, and then, you know, what do you kind of, you know, whatever you think about, you know, seeing, the wrestlers we grew up with, you know, their kids now in the sport and, uh, and, and kind of taken over. So it's always the heels versus the faces, right? And, and heels being bad guys, faces being good guys for those that aren't, uh, you know, up on the vernacular, but it's weird because when, when we watched it, when we were kids, we we're like, we're Ric Flair. So you had bad guys, you had the heels and there was some popularity with the Ric Flairs, but it was more of an envy thing right he had the rolex space mountain the long blonde hair the women on his arms you know the mink coat you know the limousines and jets and this and that uh yeah he brought up like ted dibiase you know th there was a lot of envy in it um people wanted to be like that not because they necessarily like the character but who doesn't want to be rich well i mean i guess i guess nowadays because we're you know vilifying all billionaires but anyway it's, it's another another story but you know back then that's what you wanted you wanted to be rick flair with their with the rolex and the two you know chicks on his arms and this and that that changed a lot with stone cold steve austin uh because he came in he was the bad guy uh and and i say him there was him razor ramon nwo that whole cast right there where okay it was cool to be the bad guy and that's where wrestling really changed. And, and yeah, you hit it on the head. That was the attitude era. The attitude era was it was cool to be the bad guy. But you know what? I mean, you call it, it, it you know, it's perfectly named the attitude era because it, at that point, it was our culture at the time. That was the 90s, right? And that was everything from the music, uh, you know, to alternative music that had come out to the sports. Just everything was, was that way. And it was very reflective of, you know, where we were as a, as a society and our identity as a society. And so they've tried to replicate that uh, over the course of the last couple of decades. And this is why the golden years of wrestling are over with. And this is why AEW is coming back uh, and, and doing well uh, and starting to take market share out of WWE is, you know, again, they lost a lot of the fundamentals. Uh, people tried to replicate it. But, man, you get some of those stars like that, you know, it, it's like trying to replicate another Michael Jordan, right? Uh, it's just you can try, you can try, you can try. It's just not going to happen. Something natural has to happen. And, and that's how Stone Cold Steve, that's how he got his name was, you know, he was married to his wife and they were looking for a new gimmick because he was stunning Steve at the time. And uh, she was handing him uh, a cup of coffee and she was like, man, this thing is Stone Cold. And they're like, oh, that's my name, Stone Cold Steve Austin. It just kind of happened, right? And then, you know, he came out when uh, Jake the Snake Roberts was on his, you know, religious revival. And that's when Stone Cold Steve Austin came up after the Royal Rumble and says, you know, Austin 316 says, I just kicked your ass. And that, that kind of kicked it off. That was like, wow. And, and when you look at, you know, obviously hindsight, but you, you know, you watch a lot of the documentaries and, and the other wrestlers, they were like, man, when he came out and said that, he's like, you knew it. Right then, everything was changing. Uh, and it did, because then it became 
cool to be the bad guy, not necessarily because of the money, not necessarily because of the envy, not, you know, not necessarily because of, you know, the women and Space Mountain, this and that. It was just like, hey, man, it was cool to be the bad guy. Then you had Razor Ramon who just passed away, right? Uh, that was his thing, right? Be the bad guy. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, good times don't last, but bad guys last forever, you know, or whatever the hell he said to it, but there's something similar to that. But so that's what's changed a lot. And then when you look at WWE now, you have some wrestlers that are trying to replicate it as opposed to, hey, man, just kind of go out and do your thing. And the fans will tell you what works. And I think that's part of the problem with the WWE is, one, it's become a complete soap opera, which anybody who's watched WWE versus AEW, AEW has really gone back to old school where, hey, man, we're opening up with wrestling matches. And they're going to be 25, 30-minute wrestling matches. And the character of that wrestler is going to come through in the match. Back in the day, you know, I remember, you know, Tommy Wildfire Rich, he was one of the, you know, like original faces where like he wouldn't even go off the ropes because going off the ropes was cheating. You know, that was just using something you weren't supposed to use. Right. Look where we're at now, steel chairs and barbed wire and everything else. But AEW has gone back to, hey, we're going to let the ring speak for the character. You'll figure out who the face and the heel is based on how they perform in the ring and then being very reactive to the fan base. What's pretty interesting now, though, is you're starting to get a lot of, you know, now that AEW's got some traction, and I think everybody knew this was going to happen. Tony Khan knew this, uh, that wrestlers are going to stop starting to pop back and forth. So you've got WWE wrestlers that have transitioned and gone over to AEW. Like you mentioned off the top, uh, Cody Rhodes is now back in the WWE. Uh, he left AEW because he just, you know, it wasn't going the same direction I think he wanted to go. Uh, being one of the founders and, and decided to go back to, to WWE. It's gotten so bad that Vince McMahon has reportedly gone back and said that wrestlers can no longer use their real names in the WWE. Uh, because what's happening is, and what he sees, is that uh, these athletes are going to use, you know, they use their real names, marketing, name recognition, global. And then all of a sudden, you know, look at CM Punk. He goes to AEW. And to me, you know, if his name was Joe Smith, everybody, like, oh, who gives a shit about Joe Smith? But you see CM Punk on the banner, right? You're like, oh, I know CM Punk. I know that dude. And it's immediate market share. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Uh, I still watch both. Uh, I can tell you with WWE, you know, I fast forward through a lot of that stuff because a lot of it's just a soap opera. I actually want to get to some of the action. I actually have a problem with, you know, you brought up like the Ronda Rousey and it brings up like the Ronda Rousey's, uh, you know, your Brock Lesnar's and, and, and which, I mean, dude, there's not, you, you can't debate it, right? Brock Lesnar, I mean, that dude is a freak of nature. Um, same thing with Ronda Rousey, with what she's done in, in the MMA and then coming over to WWE. My problem with it is they're gimmicks that don't last long, that the networks are using for an immediate bump. And it truly hurts the storyline of wrestling. When we go back to like the Four Horsemen and, you know, Arn Anderson, Ole Anderson, or Ric Flair, you know, I mean, dude, these things went on for years. I mean, they had battles that went on like with Ricky the Dragon's team. These things went on for like a decade, right? And that's how that story built up. And, you know, one of the things that I saw recently was Hangman Adam Page when he won the title in AEW, uh, I guess it's probably about six months ago now. They actually took like 18 months and built his story up. To where he came in, you know, he was the prodigy, he's the heir apparent, uh, then, you know, came across an alcohol problem. And, and, and they played this storyline out to like, I mean, me watching wrestling for 40 years, I actually sat there and like, dude, I like, is this real? Like, is this part of his personal life? Or, I mean, it, it had me fooled because it went on so long and they built it up. Uh, and then finally he wins the AEW championship and it was one of the peaks of, of their ratings. You know, fans are like, man, I, I'm actually into this thing. Uh, 
I don't know, Luke. I don't, I don't know where wrestling goes. I don't know how often you watch it anymore. It's tough because I find myself watching more AEW than anything because of the wrestling. Uh, but WWE, dude, I tell you, I've got it down to a pat. I, I hit fast forward three times on my remote control. I skim through all that crap. I get to the match. I kind of catch about 30 seconds of the you know dramatic snippet at the very beginning to kind of figure out what the storyline is and then everything else I can kind of play out. So, you know, I don't know if wrestling makes the big comeback. And, and, and like Josh said, you know, when you look at athletes, uh, the heels, the faces, I mean, what's the uh, what's the future for, for WWE or AEW? I don't know. It's the same as I think you were on to something with, uh, you know, uh, wrestling being a reflection of the culture at the time. And I think for at least the past 15 years, at least, I think that at least American culture has really been struggling to find exactly what it's all about. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing new under the sun and we are all three of us getting to be kind of old fogies, not really following the culture. But when I do follow the culture, you know, what the youngins are listening to and what the, you know, their interests and their fashion and things, I mean, just God, Look at the fashion itself. Yeah, I'm going off on a tangent here, but just look at the fashion. I mean, uh, my stepson, you know, he's got he's got a, he's got a real good fashion sense. He really does. I mean, he, he knows he's following all the trends and things like that. Back in our day, a trend would last two or three years, man. It, it might last right. all the way through your high school, uh, high school, you know, years, you know, four straight years. You know, Jabot jeans were cool with the long uh, braided belts, you know, that you looped around. <laughs> And tight rolling the jeans at the base. <laughs> I know you tight rolled. <laughs> but, you know, uh, okay, God, really going off the rails here. But I, I got an argument with one of my high school buddies a few years ago. And I said, man, I never rolled my jeans. Y'all are crazy. I never I never fell into that. That's ridiculous. And he's like, yes, you did, Luke. You did. Uh, friend's name is Michael. He listens occasionally. But uh, he's like, you did. I remember you did. And I was like, y'all are crazy. No, I didn't. And he showed, he dug up like a photograph. It was before uh, online, anything before the book of faces. He dug out a photograph of me with freaking rolled cheats. I was like, man, even I did that. Can so, you send that to us? Hey, if Mike is listening, I, I you're going to need that photo. <laughs> I could try to find it because it looks ridiculous. You know, I, my family didn't have enough money. I, you know, it's like a lot like Josh and probably Roger. I had to do the the fashion on the cheap, you know. The Jabot jeans was the big thing, man. I saved up for, you know, I, I worked all through high school. I saved up for a long time to buy a pair of $60 jeans. That was a lot back then. And I had one pair. And, man, you know, I was careful not to wear them every day because people might catch on in high school. But back to my stepson, you know, he, he, he lives, you know, near us. And he comes over, you know, occasionally, you know, have dinner or something. And I swear to I swear, every – Every other time he comes over, he has switched his style uh, to, to whatever's the newest thing. And we're talking like every month or two. And it's just, it's kind of crazy. And, it, I, you know, we're moving really fast. So back you to the wrestling thing. Rollers, man. No, it ain't us buying it. The kid's working and, and shopping at the thrift <laughs> shop. Because, because all of these styles, all these styles that these kids are, kids are wearing college age are not like expensive brand name styles, most of them. There was a Carhartt phase, believe it or not. All these kids were into Carhartt, and I was like, well, man, kid, I got a ton of Carhartt stuff. <laughs> That's my thing. And he's looking through, you know how much you could get for this on the secondary market? And I was like, what the hell? So they're, But for the most part, they're picking up these styles you know, from the thrift shop, the stuff you can find at the thrift shop. You know, There was a, a mechanic trucker style. A few where they wear the 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 trucker or mechanic style, like it was. It's weird. So back to the wrestling thing. I mean, it makes sense that 
you know, things are so fast paced, uh, at least in the WWE, because things have got to change. We got to we got to move with the times. And things. I mean, it's 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 kind of a reflection of the times, I believe. So once, you know, things start hitting, you know, more consistently, maybe it'll come back and be as interesting as it was in the 80s. Uh, in the '90s and even the early 2000s, because you know you had your Goldbergs and and Brock Lesnar start out wrestling before MMA and then came back. So I, I'm not a gimmick guy myself, uh, but I, I say that. But I also say I didn't roll my jeans in high school. <laughs> but <laughs> it was it was funny, you know. On one of the takes that we uh, that we had to we had to cut, and we're you know when we when we cut the recording, all three of us talked for five minutes or so. And like as soon as we cut the recording, because my internet sucked, we got in like a <laughs> just an instant debate over MMA and, and boxing. It, it just it happened so fast. I was hoping to recreate that here. I guess we won't. Like with Ronda Rousey, speaking of MMA at this time, not not the wrestling because I haven't, I haven't watched her wrestle at all. I kind of follow this story, but Ronda Rousey. I acknowledge, because I, I think I said, you know, when we cut the video, I was like, Ronda Rousey sucked. Eh, I'm going to back off that. She didn't suck, okay? She was good. Uh, she's very talented, but I don't believe, I think she was at, there at the right place at the right time. They also blew her up huge uh, to, to brand the UFC. So every win, it's like, she's unstoppable. But it's like, man, she fought uh, Holly Holm and just got knocked TF out. And Holly Holmes a really good boxer, and, and Rousey had never seen that before. But she did, you know, face some pretty good competition. Um, I liken her for for those who follow MMA. I liken her to Chuck Liddell a little bit. Chuck Liddell was dominant back in the day, but he was com- he was competing at a time where the competition just wasn't there. Uh, it was it was a perfect window for him to to be dominant. But I wouldn't put him up against some of the best MMA fighters that it, that I I consider in the light heavyweight division. So now on to boxing, Josh, and this is where we really got kind of heated. I compare Ronda Rousey and Chuck Liddell also to Mike Tyson. Oh, I will Lord. say that both of them, Ronda Rousey and Chuck Liddell, were very good. Mike Tyson was very good, very very good, but he came along at a time where it was the right place, right time. Man, we've said that a lot the past couple of days, right place, right time. But he came along at a, at a time and place in boxing history where it's like, man, this is your time because the competition, again, just wasn't as stiff as it was just a few years after he went to prison. So Mike Tyson, he, look, I'll put it to you this way, Josh. Josh said, who's your you – know, Josh, you know, you're, you're full of whatever. And he's like, who's the best boxer of all time? Put me on the spot. And I don't even hesitate. And I'm talking like pound for pound, not like who could beat, you know, anybody. But Muhammad Ali is number one for me. I don't think there is any, in my mind, anyone even close. Like Roger was talking about, you know, LeBron James versus Kobe Bryant versus Michael Jordan. Okay, there's kind of a debate there. I, I know where I stand on that issue, but I, I'll hear people out when they when they talk about that. But with Muhammad Ali, I'm not going to hear anybody out when they compare him to Mike Tyson. I'm just not. And going down the list from there in no particular order, just who I consider some of the best of all time, Sugar Ray Robinson, Rocky Marciano, Sugar Ray Leonard, unfortunately, Floyd Mayweather Jr. I mean, I've watched a lot of his bouts, and the guy is a great boxer. He really is. But again, I'll say it again, right place, right time for him. You know, he never fought anybody like Sugar Ray Leonard. 
He did fight. What's his name? Uh, Filipino guys is escaping me. Um, God, Manny Pacquiao's name. Pacquiao, yeah. But yeah, I mean, but again, like Oscar De La Hoya, he was really good. Cesar Chavez, the original, he was super good. And I, I loved Roy Jones Jr. Um, but man, the heavyweight competition now, well, now, five, six years ago, just off the charts. And now you got Tyson Fury in there. It's like, who the hell is this doughboy? But then you watch him fight, and the guy <laughs> is brilliant. He's a brilliant boxer. If you haven't watched him fight, I I really encourage you to do so. So, Josh, as far as boxing, I don't know how much you follow it. You you said you agreed with me that Muhammad Ali is best of all time. So, make a case why Mike Tyson is number two. Now, I, I I'll say it one more time. I'm not taking anything away from Tyson. In his prime, dude was scary. But I would have liked to say I wish he hadn't got beat by Buster Douglas, Josh, because. Buster Douglas was supposed to be a tune-up fight, which was a bad, bad decision because Buster Douglas was a tough fighter. And But if he would have beat Buster Douglas, we would have saw him and Holyfield compete at near-prime level. And that would have been a brilliant fight. That would have solved this argument right now. Yeah. So I, ne- I, I never said Mike Tyson was the number two. Um Just to just to throw it out there. I was saying, so we we got on the boxing thing. Um, and you know, for starters, I agree pound for pound. There is no, there has never been a better boxer than Muhammad Ali. None whatsoever. And I even think the number two who I, and I would, honestly, I would have to go, you know, do some research to figure out who my number two would be. Um, I don't even think they come close to, you know, to, to Cassius Clay. Um, I mean, that guy was an absolute animal and, you know, Dude, anybody that talks that much, you know, that that much as you call it Yang, and then gets in the ring and then backs it up and just throttles through people, I, just, the guy was unstoppable. And he was just a, 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 a incredible, just an incredible athlete. You know, when they asked him how many sit-ups he did, he was like, I don't know. I don't count till it starts hurting. He was like, oh, the guy, this dude's, you know, this dude's amazing. But Mike Tyson, when Mike Tyson was in his prime, that guy was a juggernaut. Um, Mike Tyson did fight some good, some good folks. Um, now the Buster Douglas fight is yes, it was a tune up fight. Mike was, you know, Mike was supposed to win that, that dude, the scouts failed him on that. The scouts absolutely failed him on that. He should have never fought Buster Douglas as a tune up fight. Um, but I still think that Buster Douglas fight, I do <sighs> Buster Douglas was good, but I think that dude, I think he got lucky. I, I think if Mike Tyson went back, you give Mike Tyson that fight a couple more times, I think he beats Buster Douglas every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Um, you know, and when it came to Tyson and Holyfield in their prime, dude, I think, I think Tyson takes him. I do. I, I think Tyson takes him. It was hard to, you know, in, I, I, you know, in Mike Tyson's defense, it was kind of hard to watch him, you know, to be able to say, well, he didn't fight anybody or, you know, you never really got to watch him fight. It's because he was knocking dudes out in the first 30 seconds. You know, I remember to so my neighbor, uh, my, you know, the uh, guy I grew up with, his dad watched boxing all the time. Um, and so, you know, whenever, boxing was on I was, you know we were always over at his house watching it my dad my dad didn't watch boxing my dad was a you know my dad was a nascar guy and uh you know but he watched boxing and he would get the pay-per-views he would do the pay-per-view 
and you know get it or was it HBO he like he would get HBO just for that and then he would get pissed off because Mike Tyson knocked somebody out in 30 seconds and everybody's like damn it I paid how much to see this to watch this for 30 seconds you know I I, I just I don't know that, that I don't think that Holyfield beats Tyson in his prom I, I, I don't um you know no. but when you talk Tyson and I agree, he was a right place, right time guy, but he was a juggernaut nonetheless in, in, in his prom. I just, yeah. And you talk about, you talk about a sport that's just really kind of gone downhill because of the promotions and the different championships. I mean, you never get a good matchup. I mean, not, no. you do, you do, but it, but you're not going to get like, okay, so Lennox Lewis was up and coming. When uh, you know they were talking about uh, Holyfield and Tyson fighting, and dude, Lennox Lewis, who knows what he could have done if they would have thrown him in there? But he, you know, hey, there's not enough hype around him yet. So the bottom line is, we're probably not seeing for years now. It's probably been like this for 30 years. We're probably not seeing the best possible bouts we can see, especially on the heavyweight level. It's just there's too much money involved. There's too much promotion. You know. And that's, you know, you talk about Mayweather. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. But you talk about Mayweather. Mayweather is, he he is the LeBron James of boxing, <laughs> right? When you talk about Mayweather, he that guy is a, he is a colossal douchebag. And he's a prize fighter. He's not going to fight anybody unless the odds are 99% that he's going to beat him, right? And in the Pacquiao fight, it's just Mayweather won't fight. Mayweather will not fight. He is like, he is going to win based off points. He's not knocking anybody out. He is, dude, he's winning off points. And that, to me, that's not, that's not boxing. And I think that's why, you know, MMA got so, was so big when it came out because boxing was on the down, you know, it it, it was trending downwards. MMA came out and it's like, okay, here's folks who are not afraid to make contact, right? Heavyweight boxing was done. You had the Floyd Mayweather's coming up, and it was like these dudes are dancing around the ring. It's like, no, nah, man, MMA, like those dudes are getting in there, they're locking, they're locking up, and they are, you know, and they're drawing blood. And that's what, dude, at the end of the day, man, dude, that's what people want to see. They want to see the Coliseum and gladiators. Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, other news going on, but I want to close out on the boxing thing real quick, especially when you look at, uh, you know, your Mike Tyson, Muhammad Ali. I mean, first, you can't control your competition, right? Uh, it's when you looked at Ron and again, like Luke said, I mean, right place, right time. You look at Ronda Rousey, the, the competition wasn't there. I think you hit spot on with the Chuck Liddell and even the Randy Couture's, right? You just didn't have the competition then that you have now. Uh, and so some of that you say, Hey, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, you're, you're limited to who's around you. The big thing that I saw with Tyson and, and I didn't watch a lot of boxing. I watched the big fights. I think probably like most of us did, but we didn't get a lot of pay-per-view back in the day. It's mainly like, like Josh said, you know, you paid for it. And then 19 seconds later, you're like, what the fuck just happened? Like I went to go get some tea and the match is over or whatever. So, you know, we didn't get a lot of that stuff. But one thing I noticed, especially like watching Muhammad Ali and then you, you transition to other sports, um, you know, going back to like Jordan with basketball and, and a lot of your other greats, they adapt. And, and this goes back to like what Luke is saying with the, you know, how well do you come back from a beating? Uh, they adapt and they change your style. And I think that's a lot of what happened with Mike Tyson. And you start to see it with, with Ronda Rousey and you see it big time in the MMA. Once somebody figures you out, you're done unless you can change. 
And I think when you look at a lot of these great boxers, especially back in the day, because I think back in the day when you talk about that Muhammad Ali or, uh, you know, George Foreman, Larry Holmes, that, that era, it's like, dude, you had a lot of great fighters. And, and, and you had to bring different skill sets because you're going to fight every fight different. Tyson brought one fight to the game. That was it. I'm going to knock your ass out in the first, you know, two minutes of the round. And if, I, if that doesn't happen, then I'm probably going to be in trouble. Right. And, and I think that's what we saw, especially as he goes on, uh, they start to figure you out. Uh, so, you know, with the boxing thing, it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's so hard to compare because it's even defending your LeBron James and your Kevin Durant's and those guys nowadays. It's, it's so unfair to compare them back to the Muhammad Ali era just because the, the amount of talent that was there. I mean, Muhammad Ali beat everybody. You know, and to Luke's point, I think he had what, like five, six losses, something like that. Yeah, he had some losses and, uh, you know, pretty much still came back and beat everybody that was anybody uh, in his era. And that competition was just 10 times what it was in Tyson's era. You know, I pulled up, you know, and I had a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, a little bit of a head start here from from take one, two and three. But, you know, when you look at Tyson, you know, his uh, number one fight, you know, his, his big victory was Michael Spinks. Michael Spinks was 31 and 0, blew him away in 91 seconds. Uh, Trevor Burbick, uh, Frank Bruno, Larry Holmes, of course, you know, at that point, Larry Holmes was nowhere near the, you know, Larry Holmes that he, that he was. And that's kind of it, man. That's who he had, you know, and some of these names on here, uh, you know, like the number two guy, you know, Tony Tucker, uh, Pinklin Thomas. I mean, some of these guys, I man, I've never even heard of, right? Like, yeah, okay. I heard the name thrown around, but it is definitely not the who's who of boxing. So some of that you're limited to, but I, I think when when you look at those athletes, it, it's adapting. And, and when you watch Jordan from his heyday to you know when he started developing his jump shot to the three points, you have to be able to change. And I think your great athletes, you know, they show that. Wrapping it back up with what Josh was saying, you know, he makes a good point with the, you know, the the athletes changing, and all of a sudden, you know, money becomes very involved. It's uh, I'm a poop on LeBron here, but you're already starting to see it with your big names. They're one game out of the playoffs. There were seven or eight games left. Uh, they were one game behind uh, the Pelicans for the last playing spot, and he's got sore ankles, and he doesn't play. I remember when Michael Jordan missed a couple games when they were one one game out of the playoffs, uh, and he couldn't play because of sore ankles. Oh, yeah, that's right. That never happened. Uh, and, and I think, you know, you look at it, it's like the all, you know, it's the almighty dollar. Hey, where's my longevity? You know, did my sore ankles really, you know, keep me out of this game? I mean, it's like, man, you guys have a chance for the playoffs. I mean, even with like you, you look at like your Kobe Bryant's and these guys, I mean, these guys, are like, dude, they were playing, man. Like, Hey, we're one game out of the playoffs. Like I'm playing, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to play. Uh, you just don't see that with a lot of athletes now. And, and I shouldn't say that I, I say, you know, I pick on LeBron a lot. You, you, you do have, uh, some NBA players that are out there that, that, that still shock me, but I think a lot of that's changed. Um, on to some of the other stuff. I mean, it's crazy because like I was saying, we got all this news. I, you know, it's funny because during the first four takes, uh, I had all these, you know, these news articles going to write up and then all of a sudden everything changed yesterday uh, with the mask mandate, right? So, you know, you had a couple big ticket items and I guess we can go around real quick on a couple of these things. Uh, I'll, I'll throw a couple out, give my thoughts and, and then kick it over to you, Luke. Uh, one, Easter, the Easter bunny. And I would tell you, it's, I want to cry and laugh at the same time because it was very awkward for those that were watching. So Joe Biden goes out there and then, you know, people start asking questions and then this Easter bunny comes up like awkwardly and like pulls him away. Right. And even he looks like what, what what's going on. And so it's kind of like, man, that that's kind of weird. And then, you know, he's got the spot where he sits with Jill and, you know, Jill's telling him what to do. And then at the end, she's like, wave wave uh, oh yeah i'm waving it was all kind of weird and then 
come to find out later on Twitter, a couple hours later, it comes to find out that the lady in the bunny outfit, and I'm going to, I'm going to jack it up, but she's similar department was part of her or part of his communications department, like media releases or something like that. She was staged, right? She was there to make sure that Joe and and don't get me wrong. Okay. I get it. Everybody's got that fail safe. Hey, look, it's time to get you out of here. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, but he didn't even know what was going on. Like his administration put her out there in that bunny outsuit outfit and said, Hey, as soon as they start asking, you're pulling this dude away. It has gotten so bad. And again, this is where I want to laugh and cry. Uh, it's gotten so bad that you had to take one of his staffers, put them in an Easter bunny outfit to protect him from answering questions. Unbelievable. The next thing is the, is the mass mandate. Uh, you know, Josh was throwing out some news, some updates at the White House or the Department of Justice may end up trying to appeal that. A lot of news is going back and forth. Here's what I'll say about this before I kick it over to you, Luke. I mean, the left is imploding over the mass mandates being lifted on public transportation. Like, I don't understand it. They, they are literally imploding. And I think with the, you know, I'm kind of shocked. Well, I guess I I shouldn't be shocked. I'm shocked at the administration's response to it because to me, uh, out of the several times they've had an opportunity to over the last year, that was the one time, perfect time to pivot. Perfect time to pivot. Hey, you know what? This thing was going to expire in the next week anyway. Hey, thanks to all the hard work and the vigilance of Americans out there, you know, wearing the mask, you know, uh, you know, washing your hands and socially distancing. You know, we're at a point where this thing's controlled. It's still out there. It's still a threat. We still need to be vigilant. But, uh, you know, we're in a good spot to be able to transition and, and move on to where, you know, it's life with COVID. And they didn't do that. I mean, you know, Saki almost immediately doubled down on it. Uh, and then, you know, Joe this morning was in New Hampshire and then somebody asked him about it, like, ah, oh, people can wear what they want to wear. But then you have the DOJ come out and say, well, you know what? If the CDC warrants it, uh, we're going to file an appeal. So Luke, give me, uh, give us your thoughts on, on the Easter bunny and then, uh, you know, the left imploding on the, on the mask mandates. I'm with you. I want to laugh and cry, man. Uh, I was listening to something today and the guy, uh, the person I was listening to a fellow podcaster, you may have heard of him, Ben Shapiro. He's, he's almost as big as C3, but he was laughing kind of about big, it because he's just like, I, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I just give up. This is, this is absolutely funny. And the way he described it, I caught myself laughing at it. Whereas I was just like, you know, just when you think it can't get any worse with, you know, Biden and Obama, Obama giving him the cold shoulder. And I think we were all three kind of worked up about that. The Easter bunny happens and it's like, oh my God, how much worse is it going to get? You know, Jill Biden, I don't, Jill Biden, I don't know if you guys saw, you know, they were standing up and she she had to tell him to clap. You know, he said, happy, happy Easter. And he just kind of stood there and she goes, clap, clap. And so he starts clapping. And then, you know, I think earlier in the day they were uh, reading a children's book and it's just, it was, it was pathetic. I don't even want to re- replay what was going on. It was just so bad. I don't know. I don't know where this goes. Uh, maybe Josh can touch on, you know, where does this go? I mean, he's it's time to have a real serious conversation. I know we, we haven't liked Joe Biden from the beginning, but he's the, he is the president now. He does have major responsibilities. It's time to have a serious conversation about the 25th amendment uh, on both sides. And I think that some in the Democrat party, not the left, but the Democrat party are warming to that fact that we might need a serious conversation. 
As far as the masks go, I, I mean, I'm with you. It's like I do not understand. I mean, I guess the best way to put it is, you remember those old pictures of Little Bighorn? You know, the paintings where it's just those last few soldiers and, ah, and, the, and the Indians are there ready to scalp them. I mean, this mask on public transportation is their last stand. I mean, I see, you know, Fauci and his ilk are Custer at the Battle of Little Bighorn with this because people, as we've said since the very inception of this podcast, people have invested their entire moral being in this COVID thing and it's coming to an end and people don't like it. So, yeah, I, I know that everyone was real happy, you know, all the, you know, all the videos on YouTube and videos on Facebook and Twitter, you know, where they announced it on the aircraft, everybody starts cheering, you know, but I just talked to somebody today that even after the announcement, they, you know, at the you know, particular flight he was taking, the, you know, the stewardesses, how flight attendants are stewards and stewardesses weren't allowing them to take off their mask. So Josh, what do you think about old Joe Biden? What, what happens next? I mean, is he going to make it four years? I mean, and then the mask, I mean, I'm so done with it. I, I don't know if Joe Biden makes it another four years. You know, supposedly he came out, you know, he told Obama uh, yesterday that, you know, he was going to run again in 2024. But at the rate that it's going right now, and, you know, and you guys talking about, you know, him with, you know, reading with the, you know, his wife with the children's book and then the Easter Bunny, you know, minder. And then, you know, remember when he got finished up with that, uh, that one little, uh, press conference that he gave and then he turned around to shake hands and nobody was standing there and it was just, you know, and he, he was basically, and then he started looking around like where, you know, where is everybody? And then he went off to one side of the stage and had to be told, no, go exit the other side of the stage. You, you, you couple that with, you know, everything else. And it, I, there has to be, there has to be a conversation about the 25th amendment at some point. Um, because one, he is clearly, in cognitive decline. And we've discussed this, you know, ad nauseum on the, on this podcast, you know, but then again, you know, you got to go back and you ask yourself and we've discussed this as well as, Hey, who's running the show? Who's minding the store? Uh, because the person that was elected most votes in history, if you believe it, right. Most votes in history, more than, more than Barry in 08, more than Barry in, you know, in 2012, who's minding the store because it ain't this guy. So who, what unelected official is running the show? It ain't, it's not Kamala, you know, dude, Kamala has been cocked more than John Wayne's rifle. It ain't her. So, you know, it, it, you go back and it's, you know, is Anthony, is it Anthony Blinken running the, you know, running foreign policy? Is it Susan Rice running domestic policy with Obama, you know, b- behind the scenes? I don't know. It's, it, <sighs> The guy's an embarrassment. He's a national embarrassment. And, and, you know, and at the end of the day, something, you know, they really, both sides of the aisle really need to have a serious discussion about this. As far as the mask mandates go, this is, you know, a a year, year and a half too late. Um, You know, and I'm with Roger on this one. You know, a lot of people celebrated this and a lot of people, you know, were like, yes, it's, you know, it's happened. It's, you know, thank you. Thank you to, you know, to judge. I think her name was uh, Kimball Mazel uh, is her name in Florida. You know, people celebrated this and it was like, yeah, it's good to know that I can go get on an airplane or, you know, public transportation and not be, you know, forced to wear a mask. But I'm not going to thank my kidnapper for letting me go. 
it's just th- this should never have drawn on this long. The CDC is not, you know, they are not elected officials. They are not part of the Constitution. And for those out there who, you know, they're very upset because, you know, they're like this 33-year-old judge in Florida, you know, this Trump-appointed judge isn't old enough to, you know, be able to to rule on this and strike down this federal mass mandate. Now, granted, these are the same people who say this 33-year-old judge is not old enough to understand the implications and to be able to make a decision like this, but a six-year-old child can, you know choose to, you know, mutilate their genitals if they want to, because, you know, they, they, you know, because they want to play with dolls or, 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 or talk of trucks, you know, whichever one it may be. Right. These are the, these are the same people. So these people are not to be taken seriously to begin with. Um, I, I generally ignore these people and I mock them, you know, as much as I can on, uh, on, on social media as you know, as you guys can see from, uh, from my Twitter account, which I, I thought after some of my comments this morning was going to get suspended. Uh, so again, you know, the mass mandates and people you know, do all the blue check marks and, you know, the left, like they are going bananas. Like social media has been on fire the last, you know, 24 hours over this. Nobody's telling you that you can't wear a mask. If you still feel the need to, to wear a mask, dude, wear 10 masks. Like the homeless people Luke saw, like you, you, you wear tin masks, wear your face, wear your dude. You can get on that aircraft, wear, put your welder's mask on. Nobody cares. That's fine. That's you. All we're saying is that you can't mandate that somebody else do it because at the end of the day, we're going to get on with our lives and, and, and not partake in this nonsense. And those people who still think that masks are the answer, mask, I hope you wear your mask because we need to be able to identify who is mentally disabled very easily. So, you know, and then you have all the, you also have a bunch of people who are like, I'm never flying again. I'm not flying again until they, you know, put the mask mandate back in place. That, that is today's, I'm moving to Canada if Trump gets elected. That is the same damn people. And guess what? Those, those assholes are going to be on an aircraft next week. And so long overdue, the, you know, the justice department is going to, they're going to appeal it. But at the end of the day, the CDC and you know the CDC can't continue to mandate that there be a mask. Um, it, it is outside their scope. We talked about this before. And if it if this was so important, if the masks were so important, and they were such a deterrent, and you know to to spreading COVID, Congress, which I believe last time I checked, the Democrats control they control the White House. Congress would have passed a law. Why hasn't Congress passed a law to make it a law? When you hear on an aircraft, federal law mandates that you wear a mask. No, it doesn't. Federal law does not mandate that because there is no federal law. It's a mandate from an unelected official in an organization that has gone outside their scope. Yeah, so if you still want to strap that thing to your face, you can still strap it to your face. Nobody's saying you can't. Um, it's just you can't uh, You can't compel or force others to, uh, to do so. So... Throw it over to Roger. Roger, uh, give his thoughts on it and uh, and cl- close us out. Yeah, you know somebody somebody said it earlier today on on Twitter, and you know because now you get into the my body, my choice, the mask, abortion, just a whole bunch of other things, and it's uh, you know the guy said it uh, best. He was like, you know, you wearing a mask is personal choice. You mandating other people wear a mask is not personal choice. Uh, you getting pregnant is personal choice. 
you mandating others, you know, uh, you know, killing babies or killing the unborn fetus or whatever is not personal choice. So I thought that that pretty much wrapped that up a very nice, neat package that, you know, a lot of folks on the left don't want to address. And that's part of the problem, right, is is like, hey, let's have that debate and let's break these things apart. But they won't have the debate with you. They'll just dox you or, or whatever. One quick note on the judge. Um, and I don't know anything about her. OK, all I saw was the ABA rating unqualified and this and that. And it's, uh, I think I actually responded to one of your posts because what the reason that the ABA gave her an unqualified rating was that she didn't have any uh, trial time uh, as a lawyer, you know, whatever. Uh, that's funny because if we're going to go down that road, I kind of want to have the conversation about Elena Kagan being a Supreme Court justice without any judge time. So, you know, especially serving at the, uh, at the highest court. But again, you can't debate any of those things. Canteeners out there, we had a lot to cover. Uh, we went off the rails a little bit on some NBA, boxing, wrestling, college basketball, the Easter Bunny, and, and Mass. Um, so hopefully next time, I'm sure there will be a lot more news that that uh, we can round up and cover. Uh, thanks again for listening to us. Make sure you head to our website, www.culperscanteencup.com. Thanks again to Carlton Zeus. Stay safe out there and keep your canteen cups tightly secured.